Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. Friends, we have such a special guest on the show today. Not just because we have Ann Fullenweider on the show, but also this is our officially our 50th episode, and you are our 50th guest. And it is such a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Wow. And thank you. I know. Anne Fullenweider is a former magazine editor and believer in the power of storytelling. She began her career at the literary magazine called the Paris Review, spent 10 years at Vanity Fair editing such writers as Carl Bernstein and Dominic Dunn, and in 2009 was named editor-in-chief of Mary Claire, overseeing all content and brand extensions in the U.S., while at Mary Claire, she became the mentor on Project Runway All-Stars, served as a judge for the Pulitzer Prizes, and launched a conference for entrepreneurs called The Power Trip. Fulham Wider has interviewed women including Mindy Kaling, Tracy Ellis Ross, and Gwyneth Paltrow on stages such as the Makers Conference and South by Southwest. After her mother died of a sudden heart attack in 2016, Anne became motivated to make an impact in women's health. Inspired by all the women she's met who are building a better world for women by disrupting industries, she became an entrepreneur herself in 2020, joining Monica Molinar to change the conversation around women's post-reproductive health. Anne is a graduate of Harvard University and lives in Brooklyn, New York with her husband, two teenagers, and a neurotic dog named Rocky. <laughs> and you are seriously the most dynamic, interesting, coolest human I've had the pleasure of speaking with in a very, very long time. Thank you so much for carving out time to be on the show. Oh my goodness. You're welcome. Thank you, Marin, for that nice introduction. And I'm thrilled to be here. I love it. So one of the questions that we love to start with on the show, which kind of gives a holistic perspective as to the humans that we, that we celebrate on the show is what was little Anne like? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, Let's see. I think I was, I know my nursery school teacher described me as quiet, not shy, which mm. um, took me a long time to realize just meant that I was an introvert who really loved to interact with people. And, and um, I think I was, uh, I think I was pretty cute and wanted to please my, probably too much of a people pleaser, wanted to please my teachers a lot, um, loved ballet and soccer. Um, and I'd love to go back and meet her. Can't remember much about her, really. <laughs> I love that. I've been, my initial introduction to the therapy world, we talk very um, openly about, you know, self-care and therapy on the show. And my first introduction to therapy was doing inner child work. So it's also very mm. special for me to learn that about my guests too, because I ignored Ma little Marin for many, many years, but now she she's with me all the time. Oh, I love that. I spent a lot of time working on stuff that happened during my adolescence, but I haven't really thought about like, you know, pre the age of 11. Um, having kids does make you think back to those years a little bit more um, and seeing my daughter kind of march out into the world, knowing exactly what she wanted from the age of one and a half was really uh, um, refreshing because I wasn't quite that bold and confident. I don't think. I didn't develop my confidence much later either. And I think that People wouldn't know that of me, but internally, that was my journey for sure. Um, yeah, I think honestly, I'm still working on mine. It's one of the things I ask people all the time, especially as we talk to women who are in, you know, in their post-reproductive years, um, older, probably like post-40, 
eight or so, you never really can define exactly what reproductive years are, but like, how do you find the confidence? And sometimes it's just, you got to live a little. Amen. Did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Like, or what did you want to be when you grew up? What was the, what was the North star when you were younger? I pretty early on, I knew I wanted to be like a writer, editor, be in the world of words. Um, when I was in high school, my English teacher took me aside and said, you know, you should really think about trying out for the school newspaper. And I really credit him for awakening that in me. Um, what did a little, little like eight-year-old Anne want to be? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe a ballet dancer. I love that. Did you dance growing up? I did. I mean, not like from the age of like four to 10 or something, I wasn't like, you know, one of those, my daughter actually danced um, more seriously than me, but it was just a really fun, I loved my teacher. I loved the girls in the class. And it was a really something for some reason, a very like um, strong memory for me from those years. So was that introduction in high school to be part of like the journalism world? Was that your first introduction to magazines? Would you say? No. Oh my God. No. When I was in middle school, I spent um, I guess what I was going to say, the other thing about Little Ann or like maybe a medium-sized Ann is that I spent a lot of time in my room cutting up magazines and putting various things up on my wall, like a whole series of like the Jordash ads, I remember, or um, I just poured over magazines. They were, you know, I grew up in a nice suburb of Boston. I wasn't like particularly cut off from culture, but they were a world into a, a real sort of peer, like view into a much larger world that I knew I wanted to be part of as soon as possible. That's amazing. My, uh, my dad's side's from Bradford and Haverhill, by the way. Oh, no way. Yeah. So So my parents are both like, they both, neither of them are from Massachusetts, but they ended up there. Um, and I was born in Manhattan, which I love to say, but I moved out when I was, or they moved me out when I was one. So I can claim to be a native daughter of New York, but, but, um, no, I spent all my childhood outside of Boston. And when did you move back to New York? I moved back to New York, right? Well, so I took a little extra time graduating from college. I took a semester in Italy that I didn't end up getting like enough credit for. And so I sort of had a slightly late graduation from college. And then um, I found out in, I thought I was done in January and they told me in January, like, okay, great. Thanks for handing in your final thesis, your oral final exam, or you know, they won't, your written final exams will be in June. And I was like, what? It's January what am I going to do? Like I, so I moved home and I was like, I guess I'm just gonna sit here and study for these exams for four months. And I was crushed. And my grandmother who lived in Manhattan at the time was like, I was like, I was on the phone with her like on a Friday. And she was like, Oh, well, you're welcome to live in my back room. And I was like, great. I got in the car the next morning, 8am packed my stuff and was there by like noon. I was like, hi, I'm in New York now. Um, so I got to New York, I was probably 23. Um, and that was aside from one year I spent in California, that was really like I flew here ever since. That's amazing. What uh, brought you to California for that one year? Um, I just, well, I really always wanted to go West. Um, I actually thought after college, I might move out to Colorado with the boyfriend I had at the time, but I kept getting interesting jobs in New York and, you know, we were young and grew apart, but um, I always had this urge to go check it out, check out California. I mean, sort of the, that old American story of going West, I guess. Uh, and then it was 2000, no, 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 it was 1990 nine and the internet was just sort of booming and all these friends of mine were moving west and some of them were starting companies or working for you know they literally wasn't there weren't even billboards in new york city at the time i remember getting out to san francisco and seeing like yahoo.com on a billboard and it was like oh there's this internet thing um so i just really wanted to like i really felt like there were a whole bunch of people my age building a great new world out there and i just wanted to be part of it so i went steps stayed on a friend's couch for way too long um, got some freelance gigs and really 
finally found a place of my own, had a wonderful time, but freelance writing was tough and they were paying very little at those internet companies per word. I really, I actually did some gap customer service emails and a whole bunch of random freelance gigs. And then I got a call to come back to New York for a better job at Vanity Fair. I left Vanity Fair to go out there. Um, and when I got this call to go back as an editor, I kind of, even though I loved California, I was like, I really should probably take this job. And I was like, I'll be right back, California. I'll be right back. And that was a long time ago. I love that. I love that you went back to the same company. That's so interesting. Did you notice a shift in how the company had changed, if at all, from when you were there to, you know, when you came back a year later? Uh, no, I didn't really just notice a shift in the company. I did notice just career-wise that I, had I never left, I would never have gotten that opportunity. I mean, it's sort of an older paradigm of like climbing the ladder kind of, you know, what I love about this whole new generation of startup founders is like, there's no climbing ladder. You just create the world you want to live in and create the universe and the job you want. Um, but at that point I was really stuck in assistant mode and answering phones and making schedules and getting coffee for a really long time. And had I not decided to take that really risky leap and drive out to California and find my freelance fortune, which I never found by the way, um, I would never have been promoted in that way. You know, this sort of it really worked to my advantage to leave and then be asked back. And it was a really great group of people. It was the same editor-in-chief, Graydon Carter, who was so inspiring to me and created such a universe and such a, um, a family at Vanity Fair that I really, you know, I ended up spending another, I don't know, I've got the timing wrong, but like something like another seven years or something there, just really um, having the time of my life, working hard and learning how to, um, learning a lot about like creating excellence and really sort of um, pushing myself and other people to work harder to, to meet a certain standard of, of excellence. I want to go back to the moment of you leaving Vanity Fair. And my question is twofold. One, where did you get the gumption? Well, let's start with there. I have two questions, but where did you find the gumption <laughs> to do that? Um, that's a really good question. It's actually something I ask people too, and I haven't quite thought about that, except that I was again, I'm getting my years kind of mixed up, but like I was possibly 25. Um, I was a little burned out at the job, as I mentioned, and didn't see a path forward. Didn't, I think may have like broken up with a not so serious boyfriend in New York and didn't have anything to lose and had some really good friends who said I could sleep on their couch and kind of had this moment of like, it's now or never. And probably a lot of naivete as well, which can work in your favor. Totally, <laughs> Just, totally. <laughs> And what was the aha moment, which is the second part of my question. When was your aha moment of like, okay, now it's time for me to jump. Now it's time for me to go. Oh, I would not call it an aha moment. In fact, the, my, my old boss at Vanity Fair, Amy Bell, called me her little Hamlet because I was like tortured about coming back. They called, they offered me this great opportunity and everyone in the world could see it was a great opportunity. But I was like living in California and like had a California license and like, I don't know, was dating some guy in a boat and like had <laughs> fun and like was working from home for the first time freelancing, which was really tough, but also really liberating, which we've had ever, all of us had a whole new experience of that working from home during the pandemic. But, um, you know, so sometimes that would be liberating and go to the coffee shop and I'd feel like I was like on it. And then sometimes I'd be like under my kitchen table, unable to like think of a word to write and stressed about the next um, gig and when I was going to get it. So I think it was, um, 
in the end, it was probably like common sense rather than aha moment. Like I really wasn't, it wasn't working out doing the freelance thing in California. And as much as I loved it, I kind of finally was like, look, I want to like work in the world of words. This is an excellent magazine. It's a great job. And it would be really irresponsible of me not to take it. Now I came really close to making that irresponsible decision and who knows where my life would have turned out, but I came back and within several months had met the man I ended up marrying and really loved my job at Vanity Fair, the family that I had found there. I was really grateful to be back. That's awesome. What was your journey between Vanity Fair and Mary Claire? Mm, so um, I guess it was actually a very direct line. I was still at Vanity Fair and the former editor-in-chief of Mary Claire was looking for a number two, an executive editor. And she um, called me for the interview to be number two at Mary Claire. And I, she sort of, I, I just fell in love with the whole uh, thing. It was 2007 or eight. So the, it was like, it's hard to think of it now as anything. It was, it seemed catastrophic at the time, but there was like a, a an economic downturn and the ad world was kind of falling apart and there was not as much certainty um, about anyone's economic future at the moment. And I felt like, um, I was still kind of the youngest and last hired at Vanity Fair. There wasn't a sense of desperation. There was just a sense of like, hmm, perhaps if I ever want to grow up and get a bigger job, this would probably be the one. And um, so, I, so I ended up leaving Vanity Fair as a senior editor and going to, over to Mary Claire as an executive editor, sort of a bigger job at a smaller um, magazine. And I loved that. I was there for two years. Uh, and then... I got a few calls for other jobs and I was like, listen, guys, I remember two at a great magazine. I'm having the best time. The only other job I would ever want would be to be the number one, not really knowing what that entailed. So lo and behold, um, Condé Nast called me and said, we'd love you to be, to, to consider you for an editor in chief job. I didn't really know what magazine they were talking about for a couple of, cause they really keep things under wraps over there. I ended up long story short, became editor in chief of brides magazine for a year, um, which was really challenging, a great place to learn how to be an editor in chief, but in many ways, one of the toughest jobs I've ever had. Um, and then when, so a year later when Mary Claire called back or, or Hurston and said, hey, there's an opening at the top of Mary Claire, I, I really jumped at the chance. That's amazing. You guys are tuning in to Marin Costello Radio. We have Anne Fullenweider on the show today. Oh my gosh, my brain is like on overdrive. This is, <laughs> you're, oh, this I actually feel like- feels like ancient history because I feel like I've left the world of magazines. It's only been two years, but it just sounds like it now feels like a whole different planet I was on for the longest time. I mean, I'm sure, but I feel like my devil wears Prada and how to lose a guy in 10 days obsessed childhood is being fulfilled <laughs> right now. <laughs> it's just so great. I'm really interested to know, and I hate the word balance, right? Personally, I just, I don't, that word doesn't resonate with me. I find that to, I find that there's a lot of pressure in the yep. concept of balance. I personally prefer the word flow. I'm curious to know what your version of flow or what your personal life or what your schedule while you were crushing at these magazines at such a high level looked like. Was it all work? Was it? No. Like, I, I mean, tell me everything. Um, okay. So again, really sounds like ancient history to me now. And it feels like honestly a, a, a different planet from a different era, but Back in the day, magazines were very hierarchical. Like they're very set up on like kind of, you know, top down. Mary Claire was much less like that. Vanity Fair was very much sort of like a little fiefdom or kingdom and Graydon Carter was king. Um, but they were built on this old 
slightly old fashioned idea that like the person at the top is always right and should be catered to at all costs. And you should, everything kind of flows down from there. That's kind of overstating the case. But my point is once you become an editor in chief, there's kind of a system built in, like you have an assistant. I had a, I, I sounds like, again, such a different world, but I had like someone help me with my wardrobe. I had, you know, hair and makeup in my office all the time. And, and we were not like living high on the hog. It was not the heyday of magazines. Um, but there were certainly a lot of things built into, especially the fashion and beauty hierarchy of like this. Now I have to go be the post. You're sort of the poster board for the brand. So, you, so anyway, all that to say, there was a lot kind of of infrastructure already built in that I sort of stepped into. That said, I had two really small children. Um, it was a 45 minute commute and I had a very supportive husband who also had a full-time job. Um, and we had a really lovely babysitter we'd had for a long time. Um, the kids were in public school right on our block. So I had to sort of think about how to set things up. So there was the least amount of friction <laughs> and that doesn't always work when you have a small family and you know, I got the call. I think it was like my second week at Brides Magazine had a call that my daughter was at kindergarten and had lice. <laughs> I was oh like, my gosh, uh, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so many reasons. I was like, Ooh. Um, but anyway, so I think I look back on it. It was very high uh, intensity. It wasn't necessarily high stress. It was high intensity and like sort of high, uh, moving everything moved really really quickly um and i think now looking back i realized that yeah, i actually was pretty stressed and i wasn't always calm and relaxed at home and i kind of bust in the door at 7 30 carrying bags of things and being a little probably um too rushed through my kids bedtime and things like that i don't i certainly never found balance i did though always find i don't know i guess i've always found a little solace in work i really like working i like you know, I've always worked in industries I've been lucky enough to really be interested in. And, and I've always really enjoyed that. I think um, in those early years of my kids, like dropping off at school and stuff, there's certainly things I missed. Um, and I'm really grateful, actually. It sounds horrible. I, I wish the pandemic on nobody. Um, my uncle died in the pandemic. I, I think it's terrible. But if we have to live through it, the one benefit was really that everything slowed down and that I really got to spend a lot of time um, with everyone. I said to my husband, I was like, I did not sign up to spend all of my days with you every single day, <laughs> nine to, you know, 24 seven, but um, you know, we're still here. And uh, I think slowing down like that was a real blessing for me. It happened to come at a time where I also was completely changing my career. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but it was a little chaotic. I think what you, what I learned, maybe if your word is flow, I would sort of, I would, um, which I love that word, especially as it applies to like concentration and work and getting in a groove. Um, but for me, I think it was learning to swim in the chaos a little bit, just like not going to ever get to the point where it's all organized and neat and tidy. There is no like clear green field that you're going to get to, um, but that's the way it felt at the time. So I learned to live with chaos a little bit. I, towards the end found like, a little bit of meditation and finally realized that regular exercise was really good for my brain and, and those kinds of things. So was, was the pandemic a factor in you making the next shift into alloy or had that decision been made prior? Yeah. So the, so, um, as you mentioned in the beginning, in 2016, my mom died suddenly of a heart attack. She was 73. She had a wonderful life and she did always have a not great heart. So, but I just, you know, she was on high blood pressure meds. She was active and fit and 
Um, so it all came as such a huge blow to us. And that, that's another moment where things sort of slowed down. And it was like, you know what? I have been on this straight, like this path forward, sort of propelled forward in a straight line for such a long time. And it really made me stop and sort of, you know, realize life isn't like that and that it could end in a minute. And that, you know, I then spent like the next month at home with my dad and, um, the house just filled with all of her friends and family and people, you know, a woman at the bank that she knew for 20 years and the guy down the street, this guy who came and did her garden for just because he, as a support to us, we didn't realize kind of halfway through, we're like, oh my God, we got to deal with the garden. Wait, someone's been dealing with the garden. So there's just this like much more um, circular and less, uh, you know, she worked at, she was the stay-at-home mom for most of my life, but she just built a really wonderful community around herself. Um, and that was just cause for pause for me in all sorts of reasons. Um, and any moment like that where something throws you off your regular schedule, to say the least, um, I think it gives you a chance to look around and be like, okay, wait a minute. You know, I was at that point, oh, whatever, in my mid forties. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what if I only have 30 more years? It sounds like a lot, but you know, how do I want to spend the rest of my time? And I've really learned, I think all I can in my current job back then, still editor for Mary Claire. So at that moment, I started to look around for what else I wanted to do um, and how I wanted to spend the rest of my days and how, what I wanted to sort of, you know, I don't know, make an impact in or just how else I could, how else I could be useful on the planet. Um, it also got me really interested in women's health. We did a great story at Mary Claire called um, Being a Woman is Killing You about all of the lack of research into women's health and women's bodies versus men's bodies and how that really harms overall women's health outcomes. And so, you know, the easiest example is women, when you have a heart attack as a woman, it presents differently than the way it presents in a man. And so when you walk into an emergency room and you don't have the like classic, classic meaning male symptoms of like the shooting arm down your shooting pain down your arm, et cetera, you might not get diagnosed as having a heart attack and you could, you know, be sent home. Um, that's not what happened to my mom, but, but it's certainly like all of that kind of came to a head. And I was like, I really want to do something different. So I looked into a lot of different things. I met with a lot of different people. I looked at some nonprofits. I looked at some environmental stuff and, um, and then fully made the decision before the pandemic to, to leave the job and really was inspired by all these entrepreneurs I had met and a, an entrepreneur friend of mine, Monica Molinar came to me with an idea. And um, we sort of found an incubator and kind of serendipitously. And so I decided like full force, quit my job 2019 and then started my new job like January 3rd of 2020. <laughs> and like eight weeks later, I got COVID then came home and have been here ever since. Oh my goodness gracious. During this season of taking inventory of what you wanted to do and your sort of purpose, so to speak in the world and how you wanted to give back to to the world um, in your own way. Did you also take inventory of the folks that were in your life? We talk a lot about in this, on the show, we talk a lot about restructuring one's circle and social circle as one's life changes. So I'm curious what that journey looks like for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think actually one of the reasons I really loved doing that conference about for female entrepreneurs, it was really for female leaders and it just sort of morphed into female entrepreneurs. Um, what I kept saying to everyone about why we did it was that I said, you know, woman, when you're at the top of your career, or you're leading your organization, it can be a really lonely place because you, um, you know, may or may not have people at home, but if you do, you're not seeing them that much because you're working really hard. And 
in your career, you don't really have, you have like, if you're at the top, you kind of have the people who work for you, you have your stakeholders, whoever they are, and then kind of you have competitors and that can be really lonely. And what I realized now that I'm not doing that anymore is that's not true of all, of all industries. <laughs> that I happened, I really think I was quite lonely towards the end as editor-in-chief of Mary Claire. Um, I certainly loved everyone who worked for me and we, I really like missed those guys all the time and in touch with a lot of them um, and really learned so much from the, from the people above me. And, you know, a lot of it was great, but I wanted to A, spend more time with my family. I wanted to surround myself with um, colleagues and um, workers and friends, you know, sort of colleagues who could challenge me and, and really who I could learn from. I think really a lot of it is also, I've been editor in chief for I think seven years when I left. And I, aside from the changing content of a magazine, which is wonderful and gives you a chance to learn all sorts of things like I did from the um, Being a Woman is Killing You story, for example. Um, I really wasn't learning anything else. You know, all I was learning is sort of like uh, how to kind of keep doing the same thing. And so I really wanted to, to challenge myself. And so when this opportunity came up and, and I, met all these super smart people. I still, to this day, make a joke that like, I'm the only person that I work with who doesn't have an advanced degree. I, you know, there's, I've, I feel like in the last two years, I've gotten an MBA, an MD and a JD because we spent way too much time with lawyers. <laughs> but <Yeah>. I really, um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess I just wanted, I really wanted to shake everything up. I wanted to go meet new people. I actually, even before the pandemic, I really didn't want to wear high heels anymore. Um, you know, I just wanted to, uh, do something that felt a little bit less about what's cool and what's not cool. I love that. Talk a little bit more about the power trip and how that organized, how you organized that event. Cause I think that was kind of on the earlier end of the women entrepreneurship conversation and community building aspect, I would argue. Well, you know, it's funny. I was just um, flying back from a family vacation. which was really lovely. And I was on JetBlue and um, our director of PR at Hearst sent me an email saying she'd just gotten a memory on her phone or something saying oh, the first power trip was exactly six years ago today. This is like last week. And I was like, oh my God, that's so weird because I'm on JetBlue. And we did the first couple of power trips with JetBlue. Um, the power trip was a, a conference where we took about a hundred women from New York and flew them out to San Francisco and met with a hundred women from San Francisco or from the Bay Area and just like really kind of went crazy for less than 24 hours. The whole idea was like, you could leave after breakfast on Monday, be back in time for dinner on Tuesday. And we just like almost never let anyone rest the whole time. We did like some panels and activities, a workout of really fun. You know, one year we had dinner on the, on the baseball field, San Francisco. Another year we got a tour of the um, industry light and magic tours, the George Lucas's. Um, but it was really, it was a group effort. A whole bunch of us at Mary Claire, worked on it from the beginning. And the idea was like, let's aim really high. Let's just do crazy things. And let's bring a bunch of women that we want to talk to and learn from together. Um, and from the get-go, it was kind of a crazy idea. And that kind of propelled it forward. Um, and it was really fun thinking throughout the year, like, ooh, that one was doing something really cool. Let's see if she can come to the, to the power trip. Um, and sort of how to keep it fresh and different every year. The idea was like, Sure, people like listening to things on panels and, listen, and learning, there's a lot to learn from. I learned from a lot from plenty of those panels, but it's also about the in-between times and like the connecting at the coffee or connecting in our case, like doing yoga on the baseball field or um, sitting on a boat in San Francisco Bay. Um, so I guess that's sort of the or only organizing principle was just get a bunch of really smart, talented, accomplished women together, give them permission to relax and enjoy each other. There was no, you know, we told everyone wear jeans and sneakers, you're going to go on a hike. Um, and people really responded to it. People really, I think, 
I got a lot of feedback that like, oh, it was so chill. There was no comp competition. There were women were just were just really, really great to meet a whole bunch of people and, and commiserate and, and celebrate together. And just be and support each other. Yeah, because we didn't give them too much time to think about anything. We just kept them crazy busy. That's the secret sauce. I want to, <laughs> I want to go fast forward to your experience in the incubator, because I think that is very interesting. And, you know, we talk a lot about on the show about the different ways that people can go in being an entrepreneur. There's not, you know, a blueprint of how to do it. There's so many different options. So can you explain how you got introduced to the incubator, what it was like going through it? Um, so interested in that whole process. Yes, by the way, as am I, because I don't think we did the traditional incubator route. Um, and the whole thing happened quite serendipitously. Um, I was, I had been talking, Monica came to me this idea um, when I was still at Mary Claire. And I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting. And I don't know, you know, we'll see. Uh, and then I was introduced to Ankur Jain, who is the founder of Kairos, which is, um, it's a venture studio. I don't know that they fully call themselves an incubator, but they did incubate us. And they have five companies that they've invested in. They're currently um, about to, I think, invest in a few more. Um, and Ankur and I were talking about like how, you know, his mission at Kairos to really sort of, his idea was like, there are too many smart people and so much money going after things like flying toasters. We should really use that, those brains and that money to do, to sort of do good while doing well, or do well while doing good, help think, you know, fix problems that really like housing and education and healthcare that really need fixing. Um, and we were talking about that in terms of like how we could you know, cover it at Hearst and just having a free-flowing conversation. He said, oh, well, you know, I really love to invest in, in um, life stages, life stage companies. And I was like, huh, that's so funny. My friend Monica was just talking about a life stage that really gets ignored at the time. There was no one talking about it. Um, many more people are talking about it now, which is great. Uh, that's menopause. And he was 29, I think at the time. And he was like, oh, I've been looking for a menopause company. I was like, wow, that is not what I expected you to hear. Um, and so we just started talking. We started, he was like, listen, let's get together. Let's like whiteboard it out. And um, I brought Monica to meet him. And we just kind of talked for a long time about what we might do, I think almost a year. Um, and then we sort of, I really feel like they were just like partners, almost co-founders with us and just sort of like, how could we do this? How could they came up with the idea with us? How are we going to structure it? Let's, you know, going, going after the whole like digital health and online pharmacy is a really big piece of the <laughs> startup puzzle to bite off. Um, and so we kind of came to it together. And then from like for the first, so I finally left and my, my um, contract was up at the end of 2019 and we started officially 2020 and we've spent almost the next year sort of trying to figure out what would be the best way to tackle it. And when we finally realized that like the, one of the main reasons there's so much confusion about menopause out there is that there was a study that came out almost exactly 20 years ago that really put a lot of fear out there and, and it was just misinterpreted and I'm not the person to explain it all. It's really for our, our medical director, Sharon Malone um, and doctors to, to explain, but there was just a lot of um, misinterpretation of that study, not lack of context, and then <laughs> spread through the media like wildfire that um, if you take estrogen after you have stopped having your period for a year, there's a huge risk of breast cancer, which is absolutely not true. It's just, you know, I won't get into it. There's a very small risk for a very small piece of the population for, for the most part. That just kind of said it all to us. It was like, oh, well, we have to, there's this giant information gap I'm good at spreading information. I'm a magazine editor. 
I want to help retell the story and sort of fix the PR problem that this stage of life and this very simple solution for many, many more women who then who know it is possible for them. Um, and so we kind of jumped into it and built it as we went. And they've been really supportive all along. I think in terms of how the incubator worked, we worked in their office, Monica and I, and like one other consultant for a while and constant input from Ankur and his partner, Alex and um, Zoe and Katie Shea were there at the time. Plenty of like really helpful, smart people who are really well-versed in how to build a company, um, which we were not. Although Monica had, had formed a company before. Um, and a great company called Seed and Mill, which I'm addicted to. It's great, great um, plant-based dessert, halva, delicious. Um, so I guess that's how it worked. I don't think that that, and then there were a bunch of shared services. There was like a, you know, we could, we could use their sort of shared service lawyer who was fantastic and really helpful. We could do the same with PR. We could do the same with um, uh, consumer insights. Um, you know, so there were a lot of services that we were able to avail ourselves of that we would not have been able to afford as a, as a just getting out there startup. What does the current infrastructure of the company look like now? Of Alloy? Uh-huh. We have, oh my God, I, I actually think we have 15 employees. We have two new people starting next week and I'm not sure if that brings the count to 17 or 16 because we also have a few freelance people that have been freelance for us for a while. So um, Monica and I are co-founders and co-CEOs. Um, Monica is really, I call her the canary in the coal mine or our guinea pig. She went into surgical menopause overnight at the age of 40 because she had her ovaries removed to reduce her risk of breast cancer um, and ovarian cancer, obviously. Um, yeah, so she would like, she, she has a great story. She's another, you should interview her too, because she basically says the entire medical industry was there to like try to get her to convince her to carve a piece of her body out to prevent cancer, which was, you know, a very smart thing to do. However, when she left the hospital, she like were crickets nothing, no support. I mean, she knew she was going to go into menopause overnight, but she didn't know what that entailed. And it took her five years and five doctors to really get the right treatment. And so our, the origin of, of, of alloy really starts with her. So she really knows the patient journey and the customer and the, you know, she works with our medical advisory board to figure out exactly what protocols and what treatments we should be looking at. Um, and I'm really here to tell the story out in the public and, you know, work with our marketing, our people and our social media and all that sort of get the story out there. So once they, once anyone becomes an alloy customer, they kind of move into Monica's world. Um, so the two of us, we have a phenomenal COO, Stacey Gordon, who is super seasoned, came from Weight Watchers and HelloFresh. Um, she's been fantastic. She's really our, she's truly our operationalized the organization. I think that's what a COO is supposed to do. I've never had one before. So, um, and then our director of product, we joke, but like if she hadn't, if we hadn't hired her, Monica and I would still be sitting in a room talking about how to do this. Um, and then we've sort of those four, it was the four of us for a long time. And then we slowly have hired a number of other um, really smart, mostly female employees. We've got a couple of guys now, but um, the structure of the company, I guess, is evolving constantly. We have a big sort of group stand up on Zoom on Mondays. We have a 15 minute stand up every morning after that. Um, and we sort of, I don't know, crank it out every, every day somehow. <laughs> I love that. And in layman's terms, for those who might not know the whole spectrum of alloy, what is alloy? Oh yeah. You know what? I probably should have said that first. I just interviewed a really <laughs> great marketing person who was like, you've spoken to me for five minutes. You've never told me the name of your company. So alloy is the trusted partner for women's health. Once you've passed the age of 40, um, once you sort of 
really, and 40 is early because there's something called perimenopause that happens before you've actually reached menopause. But there are just so many, um, there are 34 named symptoms of menopause. Uh, one of the most, two most bothersome are, three most bothersome, hot flashes, weight gain, and lack of sleep. Um, there are many, many more. Um, many of them, almost all of them are due to the lack of estrogen in your body that happens, occurs once you stop um, your reproductive years. And we're here to sort of help you through all of it. The simplest, easiest way that we help you right away is with a digital online medical consult. Our, med our menopause trained doctors review your information and send you prescriptions right to your door. So all in all, we're an end-to-end -end digital health solution. That said, we also really believe in a holistic solution and we really, really believe in mental health and sexual health support and all sorts of um, sort of, you know, non-prescription, like the more sort of emotional and holistic pieces of the puzzle. So we really want to be there for you. And that's where I come in sort of in my real goal here is to like share information and get women talking to each other and, and bringing this whole topic out of the shadows and into the light and normalizing it the way so many people have done in so many pieces of, of the women's health spectrum. There's a lot of talk now about periods, pregnancy, postpartum, endometriosis, PCOS, you know, even breastfeeding, like so many pieces of the puzzle of being a woman that um, have really been delegated to the shadows that really would benefit from all of us talking about them with each other. I love that. That's so wonderful. How has the brand changed from the point of con conception to where it is now? Can you walk us through that journey or what did you know in the beginning? Like, I want to create what I'm creating now. Was it very linear and directional? Oh my God, no, it's not the linear and directional. <laughs> I mean, um, someone told me there's a great cartoon of like the, the, from the outside, the startup journey looks like from a straight arrow up. And really it's this like crazy line, squiggly <laughs> line that goes all directions. So. Um, when we first got together, we just knew we wanted to have a brand where women felt better about themselves and that we like normalized this. And we really sort of thought we were going to do a content site. And then we were like, oh, let's sell some, some supplements. And then we really kind of dug into like, well, wait, why I even had this thought, like what well, we can't do estrogen because that causes breast cancer. And in fact, um, in doing the research as to why there was this whole sort of lack of clarity around what happens to women, we came up, we figured out, and there are many other women who have figured this out, but we came upon the study that happened 20 years ago and realized that like there's this giant gap of women who would be very much helped, not just in terms of their quality of life, but also in terms of protection from, you know, things that really plague us as we age, like cognition issues and heart problems and um, certain bones osteoporosis is a huge problem. And if you break your hip at a certain age, you're really likely to die much more quickly than had you not broken it. But um, so basically I remember sitting around being like, you know what, the thing we know that really, really works is estrogen. And all of a sudden we found ourselves from wanting to do like a content site with a few like selling, you know, t-shirts and vitamins to online digital clinic and online pharmacy end to end solution, huge regulated industry, several very entrenched industries actually in one, like there's the, the medical industry, then there's the health insurance industry, then there's the pharmacy industry. And within the pharmacy industry, there are other, I mean, I have learned more than I ever want to know about this, frankly, but it's been a huge, <laughs> huge, huge, like much bigger thing than we thought we were getting into when we started. Um, and so setting that up and creating, you know, getting the legal structure in place and getting the standing up an online clinic and, and working with an online pharmacy, all of that 
um, took a really long time. It's really hard to do. In fact, it's much easier to do now than even than it was two years ago when we started um, because of, really because of COVID. Um, you know, COVID all of a sudden, up to the uptick in online and people willing to go online for their medical care is huge. And the idea that we actually conceived this idea before COVID is kind of crazy. I mean, who knows what would have happened had, had, uh, had the pandemic never happened. But that said, the funny thing is now that we have sort of, you know, the engineer and the director of product and head of engineering and some great partners um, and have stood up the actual like pieces of that puzzle now I finally find myself back where we started, which is like the point of this was to really just get women comfortable and talking and, and sharing stories and, and getting this like sort of brand out into the world that makes you feel happy and proud to be this age. And of course, you're going to do what you can to age healthfully because we've got so much more of our lives to live at this point. So amazing. What is the alloy experience? If someone was like, you know, fit your target market and said, I'm interested where do they go? What do they do? What, what is the, the user experience like? Um, so you go to myalley.com. You would have found us through Google or through an Instagram ad or through a wonderful podcast like yourself, like this one, um, and heard something, you know, Monica and Sharon have been out there telling their story, but Monica's from the point of view of a patient who's experienced these symptoms. And Sharon, from the point of view of doctors, been treating these symptoms for over almost 30 years. Um, so you'd come to our site, you can take a quick little quiz. If you're not like, if you know nothing about where you are in the journey, there's a fun little quiz that kind of spits out your answer of where you are specifically based on a few questions. And then um, you read all sorts of wonderful articles written by some great health writers um, and some interviews with some fabulous women that will be launching in a few weeks. Um, and then you go through so you can read about what menopause is, role of hormones, what's available to you if hormones are not for you. Um, and you go through a medical intake form that which we have just released, I think, or next week we're releasing a, 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 we're constantly updating that because the more we learn about how we want to go through, the more we learn about how we can improve her experience. And that's been really one of the best things about this is like this interaction of like listening and hearing our, our beta customers and what they wanted. Um, so you go through the medical intake form. We then, um, you like sort of give us your information. You have a, um, Medic, a, a menopause trained doctor who reviews that information. If they have any questions, they message you. Uh, and then you sort of wait 24 hours to get approved for your prescription and that prescription and um, more information come to you in a pouch in the next, um, within the next week. And you sort of start on your way and we continue to ping you with lots of information and opportunities to speak to our experts. And once you've become an Alloy member, you have unlimited messaging with that doctor. So you can text at any time of the day or night saying, is this supposed to happen? Or I feel like this. Um, and we'll get an answer back to you within 24 hours. And, um, and then you start feeling better within, depending on which treatment you've chosen or that's been prescribed for you, or that's appropriate for you, you start feeling better within 24 hours, certainly within two weeks. Um, and then you become part of the Alloy universe. There's all this talk nowadays. And I think it's such a buzzword to say that, you know, any brand could, could respectively be a, a lifestyle, a, a lifestyle brand, excuse me. But what I love about Alloy is that it's not just a proverbial a lifestyle brand. This is actually, you know, for lack of better words, attacking women's health, you know, learning about women's health and approaching it from all different angles. Like it is, it embodies the, the essence of a lifestyle brand. Um, and I love how you 
bridge all the different elements of one's health, of one's body. Oftentimes when you and I first met, we spoke about how oftentimes we think of women's health to just be the ovaries, but it's not, everything's connected. There's so many different layers. So can you speak to the robust nature of alloy as well? Yeah, I think there's two things about that. One is very medical. So believe, keep in mind, I'm not a doctor, but once you hit menopause, your body stops making estrogen for the most part. And estrogen, you have over, I mean, hundreds of estrogen receptors all over your body. So estrogen actually affects every piece of your brain, your eyes, your skin, your hair, um, you know, everything about you, not just your vagina and your sexual organs, which also get affected through menopause. Um, sorry, someone's at the door. My dog's gonna start barking. I don't know if you can hear any of that, but Hi, Rocky. Um, <laughs> the neurotic New York dog. Um, so, so, so honestly, like your nutrition, your exercise, your sleep, they really play into this, your sexual health, your mental health, like all are affected. And also all the steps you can take aside from medication that improve all those pieces of your life are super, super important. And so we, from the get go, wanted to address everything. But what I've learned from business people is you can't address everything at first. You have to start with one quick, like one very focused, um, what's called a MVP, most viable product. So we decided to attack hot flashes because they're the most bothersome, you know, 80% of women. So hundred percent of women will go through menopause, 80% of them will experience bothersome hot flashes that's moderate to severe. Um, and those can last for years if they're not treated. So um, while treating the hot flashes, we actually are treating the rest of your body because the estrogen takes, you know, improves all the pieces of your body we just talked about. So that's sort of the medical piece of it. But the, the other reason that, 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 that Alloy is a lifestyle brand is because Monica and I always just wanted it to be about like, oh my God, I feel great. Like this is like, I'm just, I personally am going to be 50 next week. And I am like, just sort of now feeling like, oh, I know who I really am. And I know how I can put a bunch of stuff I used to worry about aside. And I know who I'm trying to impress and who I'm not trying to impress. And I'm not really trying to impress most people. I'm just really happy to be myself, grateful for my health and my loved ones. And like, I'm just starting to really hit my stride and I will be damned if these pesky, you know, symptoms are going to get in my way. Cause I finally kind of arrived at who I want to be. Um, and so we just always wanted that to be the message. We always wanted women just to feel great and to, you know, not feel like they had to be, you know, I don't know if you've, you're a little younger than us, Marin. So I don't know that you know this trope of like when JLo was at the Super Bowl and she was 50 and she's like, you know, swinging across the stage and this like body suit with this amazing body. And she was 50. And then at that point, they were saying that Betty White was 50 when she was on Golden Girls. And so the trope that went around the internet was like these two pictures of like 50 then, 50 now. And our point is like, you don't have to be either of those people. <laughs> you yeah. do not have to be Betty White if you don't want to be. And we love Betty White. You just don't have to feel old if you don't want to feel old, which most of us don't want to do. But you don't have to be J-Lo. Yeah. I, mean, I love her, but like, that's a lot of pressure. Um, but you just get to be yourself finally. And it feels like there were so many pressures as you were younger um, to just celebrate and revel in this moment and not let um, some of the shame and stigma, but also some of those, those physical symptoms get in the way of that. I love that. What is a day in the life for you? What does that look like? It's a loaded oh question. I personally hate receiving the question, but I just find it <laughs> to be so fascinating that I'm like, what is like, what would the, if the walls could speak what, Anne, what would they doing? say? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Listen, I, um, 
I used to get this answer question all the time when I was editor-in-chief of Mary Claire and it was such a different story back then. It was like, I wake up at six and I, I, I do some exercise or I, or I meditate and then I have my smoothie or juice, whatever. And now post COVID and like my life is so different now that like sometimes I roll out of bed, I don't get out of my pajamas. I make two giant cups of coffee and I sit here and I do Zooms all day. And I try to walk the dog for exercise and I try to get up at seven o'clock and make dinner because it sort of puts a real nice um, end to the day. I have now realized what two and a, two years exactly into the pandemic that days of back-to-back Zoom calls and not leaving the house are really bad for me. They're bad for my morale. They're bad for my productivity. As much as I think there's more to do at the computer, I have to make time to get away from it. So I block out time that is not meetings or that I don't have to be on Zoom. Uh, I try to take phone calls as much as possible so that I can walk around Prospect Park. Um, and finally, I've started to get out more. You know, we're, we're going, we just came back from a family vacation, which is wonderful. We are going out to dinner. We're having people to our house. Like those kinds of things are back in our lives. Thank God. Um, I'm going up to Boston to see my dad. We're gonna celebrate his 80th birthday two years late. Um, you know, things like that are coming back in the picture, which are wonderful. Um, so yeah, I guess that's the day of my life. That's awesome. Where can we find you and how can we support you? Oh, well, you can find me a lot about me and my, and alloy at myalloy.com, M Y A L L O Y.com. And the Instagram handle is the same, myalloy. Uh, and because alloy is a scientific term, by the way, it means the fusion of elements for strength and protection from corrosion. So it's a, it's about metals, combining metals to be stronger. And we love that, but it means that a lot of the domains were about like metal and science and, and we love science, but, um, so our domain is my alloy to make it more personal. And, um, my own Instagram handle is Ann Fullen Wider, which I would spell, but you might not have time. A N N E F like Frank, U L E N like Nancy, W I D like David E R. And, um, and you'll be hearing a lot more from us soon. I love that. And before, uh, I right at the end of our meet cute earlier this week, we started going on a tangent about life, life chats, so to speak. And so I want to go back to that. I want to circle back to that and ask you, for a woman who seemingly has it all figured out, please explain yourself. <laughs> what is the yes, secret and I sauce? Remember, I, I actually had to hop right off the call. So I avoided that very <laughs> sneakily last time. Um, should we have time for this, Mary? No, 100%. I, think, um, I think that, you know, no one ever has it all figured out. Even the people you think have figured out, everyone feels like a hot mess. Um, you have good days and bad days and you just keep going. Um, you know, try to be in the present as much as possible. That's really hard. It was very, very hard for me, honestly, for years until my mom died. And then I was like, oh, just sitting here and being here and absorbing the moment is really all there is. So make, you know, it's very cliche. It's hard to say that without sounding, you know, cliche, but it's so true. And I think that's the only wisdom I've really, really gleaned over the years that's helped. Um, and just to make time for loved ones and enjoy, you know, don't I'm a workaholic as I've been told by many people in my life and um getting off of that train and just making yourself pause has been really powerful and um I don't know I don't think I have the secret uh I curiosity making sure you're remaining curious and learning things um asking questions listening not talking nonstop as I have been doing this whole hour so um listening to other people Oh, those are my life lessons. Exercise. That was the one I came to late. I mean, I played like varsity sports in high school 
Uh, but then, you know, being a New Yorker and being single and going out all the time and going out to parties and drinking and eating, it took me a while to sort of figure out where physical physicality lived in my life as, as I grew up. So that's also a big one for me, just moving your body half an hour at some point during the day. It doesn't even have to be a regular time and it can just be a walk. I could listen to you speak all day long. I can't believe it's already <laughs> been an hour. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you for just- Thanks, being you and sharing this beautiful gift with the world. And just, I, I am so grateful from an outsider's perspective to see you move into a different field, because I know that you're going to touch even more people. Um, and you are, you are such a special human. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Love, love chatting with you. I can't wait to hear all of your other conversations as well. Likewise, and we'll have to have you um, back on the show, um, you know, because I'm sure you guys are going to kind of going to come out with so many more products on alloying that you're going to have so much more to say. So we'll have to circle back and have another episode with you. Love it. You're so good at this, Marin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, thank you. You guys, that was so, so awesome. A massive thank you to Anne for coming on the show. Another big thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and our producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, please listen to it again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and the conversations that you love just like Anne. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at MarinCostello.com and MarinCostello Radio on Instagram. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so, so much for tuning into this conversation. And we will see you next week on Marin Costello Radio. Tell me I can't lie